a problem that's a bit the opposite of what most people uh, usually experience. Most people don't know what they're going to do. So they, it takes them a lot of time to decide in which field they're going to go. In my case, at one point, I had the impression that the idea was put in my mind before I even thought about it. Like, oh, Mark draw, uh, you know, has skills in drawing, he's creative. Everyone used to talk about it, school, at home. So I panicked. I was like, what if the idea was put in my mind as a seed and it grew and I thought it was obvious because it was already there as I was still young, but I actually never really decided myself that that's what I wanted to do. But maybe there's another hidden skill that's more subtle. It's not a skill that, you know, you notice because, you know, when you take a pen and you draw, everyone notices it. But for example, it's in skill in communication, a skill in thinking, a skill in helping others, it's much harder to notice. What is the most resilient parasite? Bacteria? A virus? An intestinal worm? An idea. Resilient. Highly contagious. Once an idea has taken hold of the brain, it's almost impossible to eradicate. An idea that is fully formed fully understood, that sticks right in there, somewhere. An idea is like a virus, resilient, highly contagious, and even the smallest seed of an idea can grow. It can grow to define or destroy you. Those were lines spoken by Carl, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. And while I can't make justice to the actor himself, there is definitely something there from the movie Inception. And it is exactly what had taken place with my guest, Mark Kandelaft. Since his childhood, he had been gifted a talent that was visible to the eye of everyone around him. The drawing impeccable. And that was the seed that was planted inside of Mark's brain. You can draw, you have a skill all throughout his life that led him towards the path and the career that he ended up choosing. In the opening note, my guest speaks exactly about Inception. Marc Kondalaft, designer, visual artist, and founder of Rap Agency. Rethink, act, provoke. I'm your host, Tarek Azmi, on Here is Good News, You Can Make It, a podcast dedicated to your personal and professional development. I bring you entrepreneurs from all around the world to share their experience with you and their challenges and obstacles that they overcome and how you can do the same. And in this episode, Mark and I talk about art, music, passion, and how following it allowed him to identify the route that he wanted to go down and how he built a successful business. And being an artist, Mark's starting place was art school. I did an art school um, that's uh, a very old school. Uh, it's more than a 100-year-old school. It's been in the Bauhaus movement, uh, had a lot of renowned people there. Um, so I was very excited to go to that school. Um, especially that, as you might remember, it was kind of obvious that I would go into something artistic. I didn't know how artistic and what exactly. I was hesitating between architecture, engineering, creating stuff. Bauhaus literally means construction house, and it originated in Germany as a school of art in the early 20th century. And when you look at some of Marx's work, you will be able to identify the influences from that Bauhaus movement. And, as with many entrepreneurs, Mark lets an initial idea simmer in his mind until it turns into a business. Without discounting some childhood dreams as well. Uh, at one point I even had a dream of being a basketball player. Uh, <laughs> and. Um, and then, yeah, so I studied there for, uh, it's a five-year program that ends with a master. I did that. Uh, I did it in four years. I did it a little faster than usual. Uh, and, uh, and then I was 21. I was done with studies. And I started to look for a job. And quite quickly, um, 
just a, a few opportunities came to me um, freelance. I thought I would give it a try. And I liked it so much that I basically just said no to all the position that I was offered. And I just continued freelance. Mark just mentioned what I like to refer to as the holy grail of entrepreneurship. And it brought me back many years ago when I was still in my 20s trying to figure out what I was going to do with my career. And it so happened that I was sitting with a very wealthy individual who had made a fortune at the time selling tuna fish. And he wanted to share with me the secret of success. And so he looked me straight in the eyes and he said, Tariq, you want to be successful? You have to learn to say no. I didn't make much of it at the time, but notice how that played in Mark's favor. As a young student who just freshly graduated, most people would jump on the first job opportunity that they would get, whereas Mark said no, and he continued freelancing, and that paved the way for his growth and for the creation of his agency. Early 2000, on January 1st, I started the company. Uh, which evolved and, you know, changed names and all that. But it's been exactly 20 years and a few months now that I'm working on my own. Uh, and so, yeah, so I did the first eight years in France. Started with the freedom projects of, you know, visual identity, graphic design, movie posters, things for um, music labels, all kinds of interesting and cool stuff. And slowly I started to be interested, well, started to, to focus on branding at the time, the word was not at all trendy. No one used it. It was, you know, identité de marque, uh, brand identity, uh, visual identity, and things like that. It became a little trendier later. But I started to find it interesting, you know, this, the strategy aspect of things. Uh, well, think, rethink, plan. Uh, and the there was a bit of a coincidence where a client of mine just imposed a collaborator on me and these people came from con con consulting strategy consultant business model and things like that so i had to work with these guys who had a complete different mindset different way of working and we were quite compatible a different mindset different ways of working imposed on him that spells disaster notice what mark had done with that situation he paid attention, he observed, he learned, he absorbed the methods of working from that client that was imposed upon him. And he got more curious and he read and he understood and he realized that there is huge learning to be acquired and that allowed him diversification and future sales. And I started looking at their, their ways, the way they were working, and I, was, I, I felt I had a lot to learn from that. So slowly I started to absorb, to read, uh, to, you know, just be interested, you know, be curious. And I learned a lot. And after a, year, a few years later, I was able to start really selling wider services, um, go from, you know, simple visual identity to more of a... Uh, brand positioning, brand strategy, even brand naming, uh, and then finish with the visual things and the communication, the tool, etc. Et uh, and a year, eight years after I started the company in Paris, uh, just I won't go into details, but life took me to Canada. I didn't know if I would stay there for a short while or a long while, but ended up being longer. It's been now almost 13 years. So the company is based here now. And, and then I started diversifying too, because I'm, uh, I'm not happy with just doing one thing. It's not that that one thing is not enough because I don't like it enough. It's more that it doesn't, uh, it doesn't nourish me in all the aspects uh, in which I need to be nourished. I need to be able to give. Uh, and so I, I like the idea of transmission. So I, I do a lot of things that are related to education. So that's another aspect. And I also need my pure personal time, research, and an artistic uh, endeavor, if you want to call it. Yep. And so I have my personal practice on the side as a visual artist. And I think all three, all, all of these three aspects, they just nourish each other. It's like uh, each one, uh, you know, feeds the other. And it's a bit like, a, yeah, like, a, like an interesting cycle. 
That is, it's very interesting, Mark, how you mentioned the evolution of starting as a freelancer into a full-fledged business owner and how elements came to play in your favor, perhaps. And what's even more interesting for me is the perception that you had towards certain elements. So mm -hmm. one in particular that I want to pick at is when you said that you were required to collaborate with a partner or a client that was more strategic. Mm -hmm. And from my personal experience, I have noticed a lot of the times that artistic people, and I'm doing air quotes, so artistic people tend to be on their own cloud, on a planet that is particularly theirs, where they see the world from their perspective. And then when you put them to collaborate with someone who is another air quote, down to earth, who thinks strategically, who's thinking about perhaps growing a business, thinking from a financial perspective, money related, these two don't meet and they tend to clash. Mm -hmm. So when you started talking and saying I was paired with someone who was strategic, I was expecting you to say, and it didn't work out. But in mm -hmm. fact, it was something that nourished you and it made you grow and it made you see a different aspect of what your work can be. So tell me a little bit more about that. Were there difficulties during that partnership or that interaction? What was the point where you said, oh, okay, I can learn from this and this is how I can use it? Yeah, um, there's, I think there's a bit of a misconception um, on, on some of the, what people think and the terms we use when we talk about or describe things. Um, I don't think that someone who's in strategy is more down to earth than in someone who's an artist. I think it, it, sometimes in appearance, it looks as if um, it's the case. Um, because I think that this thing about down to earth or not down to earth, it's really a personality thing. It's not related to necessarily what you do. Um, but the fact, it, I think the reason why people think that is because um, creative people tend to not think in a linear way. And so very often people who, with whom they're having a discussion or with whom they're sharing thoughts have a hard time following because we can go from A to Z and come back to D uh, and jump to, 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 to R, you know? Whereas someone more linear has to go from A to B to C to D before he gets to R. So it's not that they're more or less down to earth, it's more that we use a different path. And that path, when not understood by others, just seems completely irrational. So they think that you're basically somewhere else. But in reality, it, you're just using a different method. Because creativity is just the, the, the ability to connect dots in a non-linear way because if, if it's logical it's not very creative you have to break the logics to discover things to create a surprise to discover something you never thought about you know uh, if you think water water bottle you think sea but then you know maybe uh, someone will think water and plastic right away instead of water and then water bottle and then plastic and then you know um so i think that's the main difference um now, there are people, like you said, that are completely uh, <laughs> in the clouds. And, but I've known people uh, in any type of business who can be like that. Um, so, so that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, I think, yeah, th then there's personality and there's background. Um, my background, I was always artistic, yes, but I was always very analytical. And I studied, uh, I did my, you know, my French baccalauréat in science and math. And so it's always something I was comfortable with. Uh, and I used to like understanding things, uh, analyzing. I was very, very young, uh, an observer. And I noticed my daughters like that when she was a baby, a bit more than a baby, when, she, you know, when they start interacting with their environment, yeah. I used to notice that she would do the same thing as I. Let's say we're at a playground, there's a lot of kids. She would step back, be a bit on the side, but just observe what all the kids are doing. And I tend to be the same uh, in society, at work, and in every kind of context. I, I look at things a lot. I listen, try to think, 
And once I have something clear to say or to do, then I, I'll do it. And I think this gives, gives me the ability to adapt because once you observe and understand what's going on in front of you, whether it's interacting with that consulting person or any other context, you have time to say, oh, okay, this person seems to be thinking this way. Um, he's talking very quickly. He looks uncomfortable. Uh, maybe he's a little stressed by the fact that he's afraid I'm not going to understand what he's saying or whatever, you know. And then once you start understanding this, you know exactly how to respond. Use the right tone. You can also understand from accent or language or whatever if the person is fluent in English or in French or whatever and adapt to their, to their level of, uh, you know, uh, mindset, um, level of language or whatever, just because in the end, um, it's all about communication. And we want to be understood, we want to understand others, and we want things to function. So I'm always going towards fluidity. And, you know, uh, uh, Mark, you're, you're talking about something, and in just two and a half or three minutes, you mm -hmm. broke something down that I work numerous hours, weeks, months, and years <laughs> with people to make them understand and realize. When you talk about communication, being able to adapt to someone, to the way that they think, to the language that they speak, and whether we're talking about language, literally whether they speak French, English, Arabic, or what other language, or the type of language that they're going to understand. Mm -hmm. And you've just, through identifying that by observing people, observing situations, understanding what is going on, and you bring the analytical aspect to it. So having that analytical background and the capacity to just sit and say, okay, so I've observed something. Here's what I'm going to um, do a sort of deductive reasoning from that mm -hmm. observation. And I am going to put myself in a place where it is not necessarily my personality, but what I'm going to use and say and do is going to resonate with the person that I'm talking to. And I just mm -hmm. find it amazing that you clarify that in, in, the, in this sentence that you said and how you bring it together. I just love it. <laughs> I just yeah. love it. It's all about communication, yes. And I really want a lot of people who are in corporate leadership positions to hear that and understand it, that this is the way to develop. This is the way to grow. You need to observe. You need to understand what is going on. And then it's up to you to put yourself in a place and adapt to the people that you are working with. That's amazing. Well, if, if your objective is for things to function, for things to be fluid, if you want to have your ideas um, and your whatever you're, you're discussing with someone, if you want to be understood, that's the best way to do it. And, but I, I noticed that some people are more, uh, more focused on, I don't know how to say it. It's like, I don't know if it's a lack of humility sometimes, but they sort of, they pause like that, like, this is me, this is how I talk, this is who I am. And they forget that it's good, I mean, but it's not going to get you there. And so they block, they, 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 they become a bit like a wall. And it's not that they're less nice people, mm -hmm. but I realize that sometimes they have this reaction of, for, I don't know for what reason, but they, they're not looking uh, to adapt. It's as if, like... This is who I am, he or she should adapt to me. And for me, it's a waste of time because I just want things to function. I don't care who does what, who thinks what. I just, if you understand what I'm saying in two minutes and I'm done and can go do something else, I'm happy. I don't care who, who did what, who adapted, you know? As and long so, as you're getting the result at the end. Yeah, I don't understand why people don't do the effort. Now, the thing I've always asked myself, and I don't know if I'll get the answer, is I don't know if the fact of growing in Saudi Arabia made me like that, or if I was like that, or already as as it was my personality, and the fact of living in Saudi Arabia gave me gave me the opportunity to test it, because in Saudi Arabia, like you remember, uh, we live with uh, like not not a single neighbor comes from same social class, same uh, nationality, or even religion or language. So basically, you're constantly having to switch from already switching social class 
meaning means uh, switching mindset. Um, you have to switch references. You can't talk about the same things in the same way. Uh, then you switch nationality. There's all everything that comes with it. Culture. Um, you know, even a word can mean the same thing in a dictionary, but from country to country can have a different uh, universe around it. Yes. Uh, and it's different for every country, sometimes every person, according to the experience you've had with the word. Uh, then you have relig religion that impacts the way you think, the way you analyze things and the way you, I don't know, you can interpret uh, values, uh, shapes, uh, words, ideas. And from that point onwards, Mark and I digressed and we went a skateboarding trip down memory lane because as children living in Saudi Arabia, we used to skateboard together along with a lot of other people from different nationalities and different backgrounds. And we came to the realization about how living in Saudi Arabia with such a huge diversity exposed us to different people, different walks of life that allowed us to become adaptable and able to manifest different ways of communicating with other people. And that became a secret ingredient for future success. And moving forward, let's see how that helped Mark grow and develop rap. Mark, I want to build a little bit more on your, your, your business, basically, uh, the entity that you developed. So you started in, in Paris, so you started off doing freelance work and that sort of built the pathway for you to build your own business, to create your own entity. When you started, were you by yourself? Was it a solo, solo entrepreneur uh, gig or you had partners? How did you put the whole thing together? Yeah, uh, look, when I started, I was super young. Um, it was during the era where internet was just starting to make it into our professional life. There was no podcast, there was no videos, there was nothing about business. There was nothing even about uh, um, business plan. I, I think I discovered the word business plan maybe five years after I started my business. So, uh, so I started so really- like, You did not have a business plan when you started your business. <laughs> I have never had a business plan <laughs> until now. Okay. <laughs> I'm not saying it's good, but I'm just saying I never had one. <laughs> I have plans, but I don't have a proper business plan. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so I started really like an artist would start painting, you know? Although Mark started without a business plan, he had plans, but not specifically a business plan and succeeded does not mean that you should too. And I strongly advise that you start with a feasibility study, create a business plan and a forecast depending on what product or service you are selling, just to test the waters and be sure of the direction that you are taking. So I started doing these things, um, like I said, Canal uh, Plus, which is a French channel and it has a distribution um, branch called Studio Canal that distributes all kinds of movies across Europe. Uh, came to me, so I, I helped them with movie posters. There's Sony Columbia that came to me also for the music thing, music labels and artists. So I started with these things, just having fun, just doing it, you know, uh, not knowing exactly what was going to happen in two months, in three months. I would say that maybe the first year, I was just happy I was making money, you know. Uh, I was just happy. At the time, we were using francs, not euros. So I would easily make 30K, uh, you know, every month and then travel and do something, have fun with my girlfriend and, and then spend all the money, then come back work again, spend the money again. And then eventually I started thinking, I have to think a little further than that. <laughs> so, <laughs> <But> you did. <laughs> so I started thinking a bit more, uh, planning a bit. Um, I was always very active socially always meeting people, uh, staying in contact because it's my, it's my my personality. Uh, I, I didn't have to make an effort to do it. I just do it naturally. So this helps when you're not, when you're working on your own. Um, so all that to say that, no, I didn't have any partner, although I was about to partner with someone, but, uh, it ended up uh, falling apart because, uh, there's, it's very hard. Uh, all through my career, I tried maybe about six times to partner up with someone. 
and I never made it. I don't know if it's because of a flaw in me that I haven't spotted or worked on, or it's because just it doesn't work with me or, or just because it's complicated and until you find the right person, it doesn't work. It's just like relationships. I don't know, to be honest, but I sort of started giving up on it uh, a while ago. And uh, so what I know, so I worked on my own and... Um, Mark shares with us his modest beginnings and with that, some key elements that helped him succeed. And I have learned that these elements are ingredients required for every person and business growth. Notice how modestly he speaks of being approached by giants such as Canal Plus, Studio Canal, and Sony Columbia. But for him, it was fun. He was just happy making money. And he speaks about networking. And later down the line in the interview, he will talk about belief. His belief in himself, in the business, and in the direction he was going in. And if you're an entrepreneur, you want to have a nice dose of these four elements to ensure the success of your business and your own personal growth. My business, when I started the business uh, in Paris, it wasn't an incorporate um, company. It wasn't an SIRL like we call it in France. It was just me as a sole entrepreneur. It's legally and you know financially much more simple and quick to, to build especially at the time. Now it's changed a lot, but it's been 20 years. So I basically, I went in, they said, how do you want to call the company? I said, Marc Candalaft Design, and that was it. I started like that, very simply, starting to accept any work that would come to me that was decently paid, I would accept. Even sometimes not really well paid, I would do it for the experience, for the fact, for the pleasure of trying things, meeting people, and just discovering projects. So I did a lot of that for a while. Um, I have this impression that every three years, something would change in my mind or in my maturity. Um, for some reason, I don't know why I decided it was three, but I, this is how I felt it. I felt that every three years, something shifts. The big shift though, that you're mentioning happened uh, five times later, meaning five times three. So 15 years later, it happened, okay. uh, what you're mentioning, the, the real rebranding. Now, in the meantime, there was like, I wouldn't call it rebrandings. There were just basically evolutions mm -hmm. of something that exists, but that, you know, evolves with time. So it needs to be readjusted. You know, a brand is like a human being. It's it just not, it does, it's not something that is static. Um, you, you move, you change, you evolve. You're still Tarek. I'm still Mark. Uh, our past is the same. Our values are the same. Uh, but we change. I mean, uh, you know, even politically, like uh, you vote something uh, 10 years ago, you, you vote completely the opposite 10 years later. You know, we're, we're, we're living beings, you know, uh, so we need to be in movement. So I, I continued um, making the brand evolve. I have to say it was very easy for me to make it evolve. Why? Because it's my brand. It's myself. So I, you naturally know uh, what resembles you at that point in time. So you basically just continue doing that those little touch-ups to keep it alive and keep it um, in a way that um, is in phase with who you are and what you're doing at the time now I'm not saying it was always perfect because sometimes you're not even aware of the fact that you went really far away ahead but your company and your brand is still five years behind you you know and so when I did the big change in 2000 well it this the 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 idea that I had to do something started in 2013. I was in my early 30s, yeah, almost in my mid 30s or something like that. Um, so it had been already 13 years I was in business. So at that time I noticed something had to be done. I just was totally confused um, on what it should be. I even questioned the fact that I was in the right field. I thought of maybe stopping design and doing something else. Wow. Uh, because after 13 years, you know, you've done a lot of things and there is a sense of boredom at one point, not because the projects are not interesting, not because the people are not, uh, you know, you know, I had, I had a lot of pleasure with everyone, but you have the feeling that you're basically repeating in a different way, the same things. Yeah. And, um, and you get and, a sense of complacency, so to speak. And you feel that yeah. th there is no real fuel to what you're doing anymore. Yeah, and there was also the, the and maybe a problem that's 
a bit the opposite of what most people uh, usually experience. Most people don't know what they're going to do. So they, it takes them a lot of time to decide in which field they're going to go. In my case, at one point, I had the impression that the idea was put in my mind before I even thought about it. Like, oh, Mark draw, uh, you know, has skills in drawing, is creative, blah, blah, blah. Everyone used to talk about it at school, at home. So I panicked. I was like, what if the idea was put in my mind as a seed and it grew? And I thought it was obvious because it was already there as I was still young. But I actually never really decided myself that that's what I wanted to do. That's it Inception 101 because you were so good at it from, from your childhood that it became a natural evolution. Yeah. That you were pushed towards that. And it's not necessarily the thing that you woke up one day and said, oh my God, I want to be a designer. This is what I'm destined to do. This is yeah. my purpose. And I thought that maybe I have the skill for it. And maybe, you know, with that skill, I can go up to, I don't know, eight. But maybe there's another hidden skill that's more subtle. It's not a skill that, you know, you notice because, you know, when you take a pen and you draw, everyone notices it. But for example, it's in skill in communication, a skill in thinking, a skill in helping others is much harder to notice. So I was like, what, what if I had that another skill that's maybe compatible with that one? And that's why I, made, I, I succeeded in some way at doing what the things I wanted to do. But the other one is much stronger. It has a better purpose and it make me happier, you know? And so, uh, <laughs> so this was a weird time, you know? Um, so, so it took me about a year to figure it out and then a year to kind of create it and modify it. I'm not saying that I don't hesitate anymore after I created that entity. I still hesitate. And I think it's, it's probably, you know, analytical people and people who think and rethink and all that. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're, I don't know if, if, if the word ambitious is the right word, but not ambitious in the sense like, oh, I want to be the best at something or career wise, but just the fact that I want to be happy. I'm ambitious with my happiness. I want to use my time in a way that really um, makes me feel uh, fulfilled, you mm -hmm. know, and useful yeah. and admired as well. You know, it's important. I, 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 a lot of people say, I don't, I don't care what people think. Well, we live in society where we're all interacting constantly. So I don't know if I'll be alone, if I would be happy just doing my thing alone and just being happy with it and not sharing it. So I think it, the, the, the idea of sharing is very important for me. Well, it is, it is important what people think because you're working for those people. You want, you want to attract mm -hmm. clients and you want to do work for them. So it is important what they think now. Well, I meant that more in a, in a more personal, um, you know, when I, when I think more about my visual art. Yes. You know, I could do it just for myself and I do it for myself. I don't do it for others at all. But you, I can't say I'm not happy when I feel that people are touched by it or they enjoy it, you know, or Absolutely. they, yeah, I don't need them to understand it, but I need to feel that it does something to them, you know? Absolutely. Uh, so that's important. Yeah. And I, wanna, I wanted to jump on that because a lot of, a lot of people, I agree with you. I'm 100% aligned with you. And I wanted to just jump on that because there's a lot of information out there on social media where don't bother with people's opinions and whatnot and yes to a certain extent i agree you need to do things for yourself as long as you're happy with them that is that is good but it doesn't mean that you need to completely disregard people's opinions depending also on the business that you're doing so yeah. it's really good that you bring this to to our attention there's another thing that i also really like from what you said working with some clients on coaching them uh, grow their businesses or create a business plan so i work with people to do that as well and a lot of the times i have people who come to me and say well when is the right time for me to do this business to jump into this venture or to change something of my already existing business and often enough my answer is what's wrong with now because a lot of the times, often, either people are dreaming for too long, for too much, and they never take action, or they just take action too quickly, and perhaps it's not well thought out. So mm. this is why I always start with what's wrong with now. So I want to understand the objective behind this, to understand what happens if you take action right now. What are the mm. things, what are the obstacles, what are the challenges? So it took you a year to think about that rebranding, that shift 
towards something different, something new, towards that element inside of you that may not have been so evident that you needed to bring out and then another year to actually put things together. So we're talking about a total of two years. So it's interesting to say that and it's important for people to understand that as well, that yes, I always push people to take action now, but taking action now means that you potentially want your project to materialize in a specified period of time. Could be a year down the line or two. So take for example, this podcast. It took me two years and a few months before I actually launched the first episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your point, because I was thinking, what did it look like? What is it going to look like? Where's the starting point? Where do I want it to go? And what sort of evolution do I want to see with it? So tell me about that turning point. The moment that you created rap, how did it come together? And tell me more about the acronym. The process was the following. I didn't know what to do. And I noticed the more I thought about it, the more I was lost. So I, I, I just logically said to myself, okay, you can't force ideas to come to your mind or solutions. So let it just simmer, you know, just like forget about it. But Mark did not forget about it. What he did was actually allow his subconscious to take over and make the idea grow into what it became later on. And as he was letting things simmer within his subconscious, a few opportunities came his way that were sure to put him on the right path. He was offered a few keynote speaking events and lectures at universities outside of Canada within Asia. And that made him stop and reflect and learn more about his field and write. The key here is that he wrote everything down. It's a mix between a synthesis of everything that happened that you yeah. learned and also an assessment of, okay, where, where, where was I? Yeah. Where am I? Where am I heading? And just compile that into one clear, you know, information. So this helped me, uh, the fact that I had to do that. The other thing that I had to do was uh, I was invited also to be on the board of the Graphic Design Association here in Quebec. And so the fact that they invited me there and I had to work on a couple of, uh, I had to work actually on the history of design because we were creating an, um, a certification for designers, a bit like you have for architects. So the fact that I had to dive back into the history of design and I don't know, all these elements kind of just made a lot of things emerge in my mind. They were maybe silent or dormant, you know? And all of a sudden I realized at that point, uh, oh, and I was also invited to do my first conference mm -hmm. in a university here. And so same thing, uh, same, same work, same thinking, you know, uh, for the first time I had to talk in front of a lot of people. And all these little things really ha pushed me to have to write things, you know, about myself. And all of a sudden I had it there, black on white, in my agenda and my notebooks. Uh, like, who is Mark now? And what is it that I'm doing and why and all that. And when I saw it black on white on paper and I compared it to my website, my branding, I realized it wasn't exactly aligned anymore. And that's when I realized it was maybe a, that it, changing the name could be one of the solutions. Changing the visual aspect of the identity was another um, solution. Changing the positioning also could be uh, one part of the solution. And so this is how, when I started, I was like, okay, I have to change name. Um, Mark Hanna Left is great, but Mark Hanna Left has only a meaning for people who know me. Yeah. So if you don't know me, it's just a name. Uh, you might sound, you might find the name nice or, or weird or long or short, whatever, but it doesn't say anything about who I am. So this was the first step. I was like, okay, I have to find a name and I couldn't find a name and it was complicated. And I'm in an environment where things have to be bilingual all the time, French, English. Mm. And I don't want to have a name that then is translated into second name and then have two names. And so I want something universal. It could be understood anywhere. And there's a huge element of acceptance in what you are saying, because a lot of, a lot of people that I know, business owners, 
who name their business by their name have this level of attachment to the name that if you took that away, it meant that you're actually stripping the business of, of what it is because it's no longer me if it doesn't have my name. So the, the fact that you explain it in that way, in those clear terms, is just very crystal clear to understand and say, oh, wow, yes. So for all businesses that insist on having their own name, because it's a big thing that comes up when I'm creating a business, what am I going to call my business? Do I mm -hmm. call it myself? And then, or do I call it something and then I stick to it with my hands and my teeth? Or do I allow for that evolution? So I love the roadmap that you are mentioning and how you came to the conclusion. Your reputation as a person is important behind the business or even if it's your, the name of the business. It is something that's really important. Now, the thing is, I don't know if I got lucky because of how things developed a bit, just a hasard, my, my coincidence. But you know, I told you when I started, internet was very, was the beginning, you know? Uh, like my first meeting with clients where I had to go physically somewhere, some of them didn't have an email. It's weird to say this now, but yes. it was still a reality. Um, so at the time, I started to exist online uh, with my name very early. Uh, I had a very small website, and I would be the kind that would very quickly uh, try a new service, like LinkedIn. I was like, I think a year after it was created, I was on it, which means probably 15 years ago or something like that. Um, so the reason why it worked out for me is because at the moment where I wanted to create rap or whatever became rap later my name had already a reputation so there was nothing to do about it anymore it, it, it always was there and I can build on it and change name despite the fact that my name had a reputation for people who are starting a business right away from scratch they, they're still very young they've never done anything they don't exist it's, it's maybe a, a more complex discussion, you know? But I have pro friends who had the opposite problem. They built big companies, very well known. The minute they decided to go solo, they were nobody. Yeah. Nobody knew their name and they were confused. It's like, my company is like, everyone knows my company, but it doesn't exist anymore. And now when I say my name, everyone's like, who you, like they don't know who I am. That's true. So, so you have to think about it. It's, it, I don't think there's a rule for everything. It depends on the context, on the order of things. So for me, it worked out like that. Um, and so when I created rap, I needed to find something that worked bilingually. Uh, and I also didn't want something that was like, you know, I started doing naming a couple of years ago. I learned a lot through naming because it's very interesting. You go into, you know, words, ideas in many languages, you understand words in a much deeper way. I've realized something with naming is, um, especially if you're, if you're not like a sm very small local business that's selling a, a commodity, you, you need your name to be wide, like broader than yourself or broader than your field. Um, because one, you want to have the you want to have the freedom to be able to evolve as a company and not be stuck by your name. So you don't want your the name that you have be so descriptive and so precise that it basically imprison imprison you. And as soon as anything changes in the company, you have to change the name all the time. You know that's really important. So you notice that big big brands who you know when I say big, I don't necessarily mean big in size, but big in sort of broadness. Yes usually have names that evoke things that are that there are more symbols or ideas more than a description you know uh, so the fact that you know you have the word graphic design or design in, in the name of your company is not bad in itself but for me i need to go away from that and be more into something deeper and more evocative you know um and so at the time i was looking for for things that were well, I had my philosophy about design that was where it was at the time. I was thinking a lot about emptiness, about modernism, about um, design thinking, about all these things that, you know, at the time I was just super interested in these things and they were really present in my practice. So I was trying to find a name and, you know, I have a, an image blog that's called The White Dot. I really like that name. Um, and I wanted something similar, 
you know? Uh, so I was looking for shapes like square or circle or something, but everything I would come to, I, I would, I would, I would finish by eliminating, you know, I would end up eliminating. Uh, and until it, the, the word, the, the name rap came to me by pure coincidence, uh, because on my birthday on February 14, 2014, uh, one of my good friends sends me a, a, like a long documentary, probably a two hour documentary on the Wu-Tang Clan. And so, uh, because he knows that uh, in my, you know, in my, from like 10 to 25, I still love rap, but between that era, between the, those years from 10 to, to 20, 25, I used to listen to a lot of rap. And he knows that the Bhutan Clan was one of my favorite groups. Okay. So he sent me this documentary and I watched the thing and it was super cool and I'm hyped. And I was really happy to re rediscover uh, that and you know those memories, those years and go through the history of the clan and how they function because they're built, they're, the strategy behind the group is super interesting. It's not just like a random, and there's nothing random in how they organize themselves and the names they had and all that. So anyways, I was super happy to rediscover this and you know, when you're happy about something, I just jumped on Google and started doing some research and, and reading. And I, I, I think I went on Instagram and there was someone who was, who was saying thank you to all the people who still support hip hop. This is what the guy said. This was in 2014. And my reaction, my immediate reaction to that was like, so he's saying, thanks to people who still support hip hop. And I was like, okay, what is hip hop now compared to what it was when I was younger and compared to how it was when it was created? And so I, I don't know, I felt the urge of responding to him. I was saying something about hip hop um, is no longer what it used to be it went from being a cultural movement uh, to a commercial product. True. And rap used to be extremely rooted in people's reality. It was rooted in how they live, uh, where they lived. There was also this idea of being very proud of where you come from, which hood you're from. Absolutely. Uh, then there was the pride of being part of a community. Um, there was Rap was there to also talk about people's struggles, their ideals, their dreams, their political views, etc., etc. And the first, the very first moment where rap was probably there's no there's no real moment where rap started, but basically it was jazz, to which a talking was added at one point. And Jill Scott Heron is probably one of they call him the father of rap. He was more of a poet. Um, and he worked with a musician and they started doing what we call today rap. But if you listen to his texts, they're absolutely stunning. They're super interesting. Uh, they're extremely relevant today, uh, even politically uh, or socially, describing how society is, capitalism, uh, uh, poverty, uh, you know, social class, privilege and all that. Everything is in there in the 70s already. Like we've had, nothing has been invented now. Like everything now is just a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Uh, and so this is how the idea of using uh, the word rap came to me because at one point what I realized is that everything that was inside of rap as the ideas, the values, etc. was exactly what I wanted to put in the company. Uh, and I forgot to mention that at the time where I wanted to create rap and I didn't know it was going to be rap, I was a bit frustrated and annoyed with my own field. Meaning, I felt that design became a di dictatorship of how things should look like. That everywhere you would go, things should be beautiful, everything should be designed. Anything that wasn't designed was crap or demodé or, or not cool or unmodern or whatever. And I was frustrated by the fact that when I traveled to Paris or to New York or wherever a big city, I would always have the feeling that I'm bumping into the same stuff, same trends, same look and feel. Uh, it was at the time also when hipster stuff were starting and you used to see all those little 
uh, cafes they were like beautiful and you know like everything was too beautiful you go in there's uh, candles uh, a bicycle and an apple exactly and a book and the book has to look old uh, and it looks it used to look like it'd be an old edition uh, and they people just have it in their hands they never read it but it looks nice in the pictures when you're doing the instagram <laughs> so i was so annoyed by all that at the time like everywhere i would walk in everything was constantly too nice but you know my philosophy of beauty is is of course beauty is important inside of beauty but i think leaving leaving things as they are some kind of natural something natural where not everything is a setup not everything has been thought where there's room for i don't know an accident room for something that doesn't match something else is also i think beauty and i think that um and I want to go too deep into that because this is also another talk <laughs> about beauty. What is beauty? That's another session. <laughs> I, but think, I think we're going to do part two and part three to this. Part three and part four. <laughs> yeah. But so just to say that there was this idea of wanting to be a bit more authentic and being closer to, uh, to how the world is as it is in its raw way, you know, not in, in the embellished way or in the superficial way. So I think noticing that, that those resemblances between the rap movement when it used to be a cultural movement and what I was trying to build, one point I was like, you know what? I'm gonna call it rap. I'm just gonna call it rap. I'm gonna take the word. I'm not gonna invent anything. I'm gonna use the word rap as it is. And I think it's gonna look super cool. One, because no one's expecting it. It's going, probably going to be shocking for most people. Um, a lot of people are going to tell me it's crazy and that's what happened. And also my aesthetic is so the opposite of rap, meaning my aesthetic is very minimal, very white, very straight to the point. Well, maybe straight to the point is a resemblance with rap, but it's also very refined. Uh, it's everything is very detailed oriented, whereas rap visually is something that is more chaotic. Mm. Uh, there's graffiti, there's colors, there's an excess of things always, you know, the closing wise, it's more bling. So I thought that the, the, I could imagine the word rap adjacent with my work. And I saw this amazing contrast in almost, or maybe you can even call it attention between a word that has such a powerful idea behind it with a specific visual atmosphere. And then with the visual atmosphere that I had, it would clash completely, you know? And I thought the, I mean, for me, strength comes from clash. Things need to clash uh, to, to become strong. And I thought that the tension between both could be visually very interesting. And plus the fact that, you know, behind the word rap, I did my research as well to understand where it was coming from. And the word rap uh, used to, existed way before the, the music. Uh, it's al it's already in the 19th century. It uh, refers to, you know, for example, uh, wrap up a command. Uh, it's also um, having the sense of um, la repartie, reparty, yep. when you're able to basically have a, a really good uh, debate with someone and everyone has a strong argument and you, you know, you, you, you're, you have a, a, a vivid, you know, back and forth debate. Mm -hmm. And all these ideas combined, you know, like the, the, the debate thing is super important in creative mind, uh, field because you constantly have to challenge people, other people's idea, ideas, your own ideas. So slowly I started seeing that within the word, there was much more than just rap music. Uh, there was strength, there was power, there was the idea of challenge, of being straightforward, of being authentic, uh, you know. Uh, so this is how it took form slowly. And the th part that you like, the fact that it became an acronym, came almost a year later. Because when I used the word rap at the beginning, there was my, my tagline was power to vision. It was not uh, rethink, act, provoke. Okay, I like power to vision because it's really synonymous with rap. I mean, when you say power to vision, if I didn't know you, mm -hmm. I just heard someone say, there's a company that is called Rap, Mm -hmm. And what it stands for is power to vision. I would, I I would automatically think music, and because it says rap, then I would think of rap music. 
when I launched Wrap, I invited about 100 people to a restaurant uh, close from my office, a bar. And I did a projection of that video that was the symbol of the birth of Wrap. It's an homage to humanity. Okay. Amazing. Everything that it, uh, that it has, you know, humanity is like creativity, uh, uh, but also wars and drama. I mean, we, we know, we witnessed uh, once or twice these things uh, between Lebanon and Saudi. And I find this fascinating how humanity is capable of creating so much and also of, of just adapting, you know, like, and actually just for the joke too, there is in between Power to Vision and Rethink, Act, Provoke, I had created another one because the thing is, I knew that everyone would ask me, is rap really rap or is it an acronym? I knew that this question would, you know, would come. And so just for the fun of it, and actually it is, it was for fun, but it's also true. I had another acronym that was um, Reconcile Art and Profit. <laughs> because I, I, I'm in a field but where those are always in opposition. Yeah. You're either doing art or you're making money. But if you're making money, it's not art. And if it's art, it's not money. there's no money. And this is a misconception that I wanted to break. Uh, so anyways, I, I played with it for a bit, but we, we never used it. But it was mainly for conversation with people, just for the fun of it. And then, so anyways, and then uh, I came to Rethink Act Provoke, which is actually now, I think I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to change it anymore. Uh, but there's something that's interesting for you to know as well, is at the time where rap was alone without the Rethink Act Provoke. So I told you there was power to vision. And the website was divided in three sections, inspire, play, innovate. And those were like the main, the three main, uh, I don't know, funnels yes. uh, for, the, for the website. And those are three words that were super important for me and still are, and they led to the workshop that I think I shared with you. Yes. Uh, and then Rethink Act Provoke uh, became what you actually discovered. Um, and we think Act Provoke is is just a very simple way of uh, breaking down the process of anything that you want to, any endeavor, you know, anything you want to do, small, big company, and anything. You have to think and rethink. The re, the re is important because thinking we all do, but uh, very rarely do people go back to something they've thought and question what they thought. I think this is very important. It's important for all of humanity. It's important uh, for progress, for discovery. Uh, how often do we just think about something and then realize we were wrong or, or partly wrong, you know? Um, and then once you, once you, once you are able to rethink things, uh, you can act in a more, um, comment dire, affirmative way. Yes. Uh, because things are clear in your head, so you're able to, you know, to just go ahead and act. Acting is, is basically what? Is movement. Uh, movement is life. Uh, we're all always constantly acting and creating uh, all around the world. I forgot how many companies are created every year. It's a huge number. I think like 200,000 companies every year or something like that. A lot of them die too, but uh, there's this, it's amazing to see how much initiative there is. And then uh, provoke is important because anything you do, uh, you do with an intention, a purpose. And so when you provoke, well, there's the negative aspect of provoke where you provoke to annoy someone. Yes. Um, you know, it's not meant in that sense. It could in some areas, like uh, I do use it sometimes, um, but it's mainly to provoke to, to, uh, to get the result that you are looking for an emotion, a response, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a, a shift in mindset, uh, a discovery that someone does, uh, teaching, uh, you know, whatever it is. So, so provoking is, is important. Otherwise, we wouldn't do anything, you know? There's Absolutely. always an intention behind things. So. Absolutely. And, and all three work very well together. So sometimes it doesn't have to be that you rethink, you act, and you provoke. Sometimes you provoke to push for that starting point for people to rethink. And once you reestablish something, uh, a business pillar, 
or a strategy, then you can act upon it. And you, you can play with the order. Yeah. Like I'm a big believer in uh, thinking too much is not good. Um, Amen. Sometimes Amen. act, act and discover and then think again, you know, uh, but acting is important because you realize that thinking can t totally paralyze the act. So if, if at one point you don't act, your thinking is useless. It's basically a loop, a never ending loop because you can think forever. So act is, acting is super important. It, what basically makes you exist in the world. Uh, otherwise you're just a, a thing like a immo immobile without movement and you die. Yes. <laughs> Any living creature or, or plant or whatever it is, if it doesn't move, will die. Absolutely. All right. Um, Mark, uh, this, this has been absolutely lovely. I want to end on a note with you. If you wanted to give a message or leave our uh, listeners with one or two key takeaways, what would they be? I would say um, take the time to think about what makes you happy um, and what brings you pleasure when you're doing what you're doing. Um, and be careful to not be fooled a bit like I did, you know, when I did the difference, when I did the distinction between the skill and what's hidden behind, you might have a skill that you love doing. like, let's say you love drawing, you love creating, you love writing, you, but there is something, there's always something deeper hidden behind that's, that's more abstract. It's not what you like doing, but it's, it's what when you do that thing, it's the fulfillment that is provoked by the fact that you do it. I think this thing is really important to identify because once you have that little thing cleared out, you can eventually change what you're doing, do something else, or even add to what you're doing without having the impression that you're abandoning a passion because you know that behind it, there's something more, there's something stronger and deeper that fulfills you. Like for me, I love creating, I love designing, I love drawing. Everything I do is related to creativity, whether it's videos or, or ads or, or brands or whatever it is, or even music. Sometimes I'll just sit and create music. It doesn't matter what I do. Uh, but the thing behind it uh, is uh, uh, the purpose behind it for me is to, is to try to make people discover things in a different way like bring another perception to people uh, about anything uh, you know that that's really what fulfills me and this is why i think also when i go towards education and workshops uh, i'm super happy i'm not creating anything in these moments but i'm actually giving something and i think it's important to, to identify all these subtleties of what makes you happy because uh, there's a TED talk that I love. It's about why you will fail to have a great career. And he says it very well. You need one big passion, one big thing that is your specialty. But if you don't combine it with a hundred other sub passions or things that are in, that you are, you're interested in, you're never going to evolve. You're never going to, it's never going to be rich enough. You know, you need to nourish things all the time with other things. And, I remember the first 10 years of, of me running the business, I would buy tons of design books, everything about design, 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 design. And the minute I started realizing that, what am I gonna do with so much design? I, I, I'm supposed to design. I, I don't need to look at that much design all day long. Like look at my colleagues and people at the other end of the world, what they're doing. I mean, it's, it's interesting, but what really started to you know to feed me and to make me evolve and and it really opened my mind my mind was when I started reading science, philosophy, uh, all kinds of things related to thinking, uh, to psychology, and or complete different other fields. Like sometimes I look into engineering and I see shapes and I'm fascinated by it and I use it in my creation. I uh, look at nature, how things function, biology. Uh, take a theory from biology, try to apply it to a business, you know, have fun with things, play, you know, this is super important. Yeah. Um, so one, be, look at the purpose behind your passion. Two, uh, be super open to everything that is related in appearance or even not related to uh, your, your job and your skill, because 
you need you need to nourish it constantly a bit like relationships you know when you, you like someone you live together yeah. you need to bring novelty to the to the couple conversation ideas things people uh, and a third one would be um, I think patience is probably also a very important one because it does take time and um, it's not really true that you can just uh, you know have a an amazing idea and all of a sudden in a few months you're off and you're you're you're, you're a huge success uh, every time we see that it's an illusion most of the time we just don't know that behind this there's been you know five to six years of failing or two companies that you know open and close and other endeavors that didn't work out and all these little addition of, of, of failing and small success end up to eventually the bigger one and that is a wonderful piece of advice especially to end our conversation on because a lot of times people think that well it's easy for you you're an overnight success but they don't realize to your point that every overnight success took anything between 15 to 20 years maybe in the making uh, more or less mm -hmm. so they only come to see the result the end result after that much time and so to your point it's an illusion that it's an overnight success mm -hmm. but they don't see really all the uh, difficulties the challenges and the time that that person has taken before they hit that sweet spot uh Kondaraft, rap <laughs> i love it this is bringing us to a wrap <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for your time Merci, David. here's good news podcast season one you can make it is a here's good news production hosted by me Tarek Azmi make sure to visit here'sgoodnews.com for more details on this podcast more on the blogs as well as personal and professional development and don't forget to hit the subscribe button and receive weekly newsletters Thank you for tuning in. Here's good news. You can make it.